Pop World Travels. I'm joined today by Moen Johansson, travel writer and travel photographer extraordinaire. Stephen Scarfield was here with us. He's just had to nip out for another meeting, which is very inconvenient for us <laughs> and our listeners, isn't it, Moen? It is. It is. But, uh, you know, that's the, the life of the travel and motoring editor. It's that's always busy. Indeed. That's the nature of the game. Look, we've got some great guests coming up with some of our colleagues. We've got Jeffrey Thomas talking about the recent announcement for the opening of the international borders here in Australia. We've got Penny Thomas talking about hotels and Global Gypsy's new stations tour, which is um, up in the north of Western Australia. And we've got our motoring writer, Olga de Merla, talking about the popularity of utes, which is, yeah, that's a bit of an eye-opener. Have you ever owned a ute, Moen? I haven't. I've always looked for a good reason to own one, actually. (laughs) 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 Because it does seem to be one of these vehicles that, uh, you know, it, it... it is so universally popular isn't it you know mm. it's uh you know you see young mums dropping the kids off at school in the ute and yep. uh you know there's of course the tradies who need them for obvious reasons but uh yeah it's a it's a really versatile vehicle no, isn't you're absolutely it? right i think and maybe back in the day you might have needed one for all the photographic equipment you had to lug around but that's certainly not true nowadays and you're going to tell us why that's not true well, yeah, uh, we, we sort of, uh, I mean, we've seen this sort of trend happening, uh, you know, towards mobile phone as being the, the main camera that people use all the time, uh, mm. which, which got us talking uh, about what's the ideal sort of travel kit to take away. Uh, so I was tasked with sort of doing a little story on that. And uh, my conclusion was essentially that, you know, if you buy yourself a decent phone uh, with, you know, multiple lenses in the cameras, mm. uh, then, you know, that's a, that's a good base to start with. But, uh, you know, there is uh, – the, the shortcomings of the phones are still the, the uh, optical zoom mm. when, you, when you sort of start zooming in beyond one, two, three yep. times. Uh, then you start moving into the sort of what we call digital zoom, which is essentially just enlarging up the, it's the, same the as image. Pin- pinching on one of your photographs. Yeah, you know, exactly. With the resulting deterioration in quality. Absolutely. Mm. So uh, – in the past, we've uh, we've sort of explored uh, what we call super zoom cameras, which are sort of essentially a, an all-in-one camera. It's not mm. interchangeable lenses mm. as such, but uh, they do have a, sort of a remarkable long zoom range, uh, typically from somewhere around, say, 24-millimeter wide angle yep. to a 600-millimeter uh, telephoto lens. Well, it's incredible. And that's all built in. The all built in yeah, into wow. the one camera, mm. and some, some even beyond that. But, you know, to be honest, uh, any, anything, uh, hand-holding anything beyond a 600-millimeter lens, oh, even yeah. if it's a fairly light camera, it's, uh, it's a bit of a struggle. So yeah, yeah. You need a, a tripod then. That's yeah, the exactly. You need, exactly. So, so, mm. so, so uh, I think, uh, you know, really, if, if you... If you set yourself up with a good super zoom camera mm. and a good phone, yep. then you're pretty well kitted out. That's all you need. Well, almost. Not, <laughs> almost. <laughs> okay. So what else? Personally, do we need? I, I would throw in a drone as well. Sure. Okay. Just to give you uh, that different sort of perspective, uh, or the opportunity to get that different sort of. Uh, angle point yes, of view yes. uh and and uh, you know you can get them for as little as 750 dollars you know for a 
DJI Mini 2, for example, uh, they're easy to fly. They're packed down to just about nothing. They weigh mm. just about nothing, uh, and uh, super easy to fly, mm. as I said. Uh, mm. And they 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 just give you that sort of different perspective. But but you do, having said that, you do have to be aware of where you fly them and and be you know mindful of of other people and uh, respect their privacy and so on. Uh, but I think I think it's certainly worthwhile throwing it in there as a you know an ideal travel kit. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, look, uh, just to briefly mention, I was recently on assignment um, with another journalist who had a drone with him as well. So he just had his mobile phone camera. Mm-hmm. It's an iPhone, uh, I think it was a 13. Um, he used the drone in a lot of different situations. Like He was almost always using it to get those wonderful, you know, sh- above sort of shots that yeah. you couldn't possibly get from just standing on the ground or even using a zoom camera, you know. So we're not talking about miles in the air and you know the classic sort of you know bird's eye view we're just talking about getting as you said a, just a different angle yeah yeah you know? even you know i mean I, I believe you were down the albany way or something like that you know i mean you're uh, you you can you can send it out over the water and get you know pictures looking in that well that's yourself, exactly what he was doing yeah. so we're at the wind farm for example where the building yeah. track is so he yeah. just sent the drone out over so he could shoot backwards looking yeah. at us and 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 the um the, you know the, the windmills the turbines yeah and also at the Gap, so classic sort of tourist spots down in Albany too. Yeah, that's um, a really good example, isn't it? Very dramatic, as you know, dramatic place to be. And to use a drone in those situations, it's almost essential, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Mm. There's, uh, there's there no way of getting that other, <laughs> that, that kind of different shot there. Mm, um, precisely. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, so, so if, you, if you can set yourself up with, uh, with something like that, and, and in reality you can do that for, I mean, you could spend anything from you know six seven hundred dollars upwards on a phone but uh, even if you spent you know sixteen hundred dollars on the latest mm. iphone mm. 13 pro uh the with the large screen you're looking at probably sort of uh, you're nudging up towards two thousand dollars oh yeah absolutely. um but uh and uh, a good super zoom uh you can get one from there's a canon SX70, for example, uh, you can get that for about $750. Uh, but for me, I would go something like there's a, a Sony RX10 Mark IV. It's a bit of a mouthful, but mm. Uh, mm. That's, a, that's a really sort of uh, almost like a DSLR type camera with all the functions of a DSLR camera, mm. but the convenience of having everything in the one in the one camera body, yes, if you yes. like, uh, and they sell for just under two thousand dollars as well. Okay, so it's a reasonable outlay if you if you're serious, but it's probably worth it because when you look at the prices of a equivalent, so DSLR camera with all the lenses and everything, it's it's a huge. Oh yeah, amount. you can certainly More, easily easily add up that. But uh, you know, uh, and uh, once once you're set up with, uh, if you buy the sort of top of the top of the line like i'm talking mm. about the iphone here i mean you can obviously do it a lot cheaper you know you can well we'll, we'll talk about uh, a cheaper yeah. option after we yeah later on um yeah, sure. and uh so i think i think you can you can uh, if if you invest the money uh, and choose well mm. it'll last you several years in particular the camera mm. i mean the camera is uh the, f- the phones may outdate a little bit perhaps uh, and uh, and so on in, in time, but I think the camera, uh, the reason you'd buy that is 
for the optical zoom yes. uh, and uh, you know that's not going to change so if you if you invest some money in a in a good super zoom i think you're you're set for a long time yeah sure that's a really good point actually okay look, we, we might bring uh penny thomas in here and um not just because it's great to hear penny talking about these uh tours up north but also She's talking with Stephen Schofield. So we get to have Stephen on the show after all. Bonus. Yeah. Ex- ex- well, yeah. Well, let's well. wait and see. He <laughs> <laughs> can be a bit of a liability. Okay, it's over to Penny and Stephen. Well, it's my pleasure to introduce again our travel writer, Penny Thomas. Back to the pod well-traveled Penny. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. That's okay. Now we've got a fascinating topic talking about a new tour from Global Gypsies. It launches in April. It's a nine-day tag-along caravan tour, and it's the inaugural Outback Station Safari, which sounds very exciting. And uh, I'll bring in travel editor Stephen Scarfield to talk to Penny about this. Yes, thanks, Will. Thanks. Uh, yes, interesting. Perhaps, Penny, just, well, we're, you know, Global Gypsies, um, Jan Barry and Jeremy Perks are sort of great friends of ours, and they've done, just done wonderful work around here for so many years that we're, we're very confident and comfortable with that but perhaps just take us through where this tour actually goes and then we'll talk about the nature of the tag along mm, yeah so the the tour that they're doing is starting in Calbarry on april the 2nd um it will have a maximum of sort of 10 vehicles as part of as part of the tour as well and you'll stay at three different outback stations over the, the course of the nine day period um a minimum of two nights at each station and then the tour will wrap up in Walgu on April 10th. Interesting, isn't it? Because, um, as you say, I mean, each of these stations have a great story and there's variety in what they've chosen, the places they've chosen to stay. Perhaps just tell us where they are. Yeah, okay. So you've got um, Murchison House Station, which is near Calbarry, uh, Woolene Station, and then, oh, I hope that I say this correct because I'm not sure, but Melangel. Malangada Station? Yep, Malangada. Is that how you... Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> and that has a particular story, doesn't it? I believe so, yes. I haven't actually been there before, but it does look really interesting, um, especially, I guess, with the, the old building there that was um, built by a very well-known architect and, and priest in the area. So, And it's his only residential property in Australia as well, I believe. That's right. And, of course, this is Monsignor John Hawes, and... Lots of the audience will be familiar with that name uh, for his design work and building work of Geraldton Cathedral, for example, um, the, the little St Hyacinth Chapel in Yaogu, uh, lots of other you know, public religious buildings. But of course, as you say, this is the only um, private home in a private, you know, private hands. Uh, so it's a very yeah. unusual uh, place to visit and, and not what's generally on that sort of John Hawes trail which comes out of Geraldton which I'm sure lots of uh, lots of our caravanners will be aware of so it's a, yeah. that's an unusual place and of course Woolene has this uh, great credential in uh, looking looking to the future yeah no um Woolene looks like a really beautiful station as well it's, it's, it's quite large I presume it's over 200 hectares so um on the tour you will get to be guided by the different station owners and they've all got different little activities planned for the tour group as well, um, which I guess will be a good way to sort of immerse yourself in what, what living on a station is really like and um, what the landscape is like and 
I guess also the different livestock that they've got there as well you get to observe. That's true, and I think that with Willene in particular, it's probably a you know this is it's delicate rangeland country, so Willene is a a wonderful opportunity to understand how agricultural people have uh, have been changing and have changed their view of the use of landscape and these delicate landscapes and this sort of balancing making a living out of the land you know but being conscious of the degradation and the future sustainability of that land in an agricultural setting i mean i i can't think of many better or any better examples than willine for understanding that and getting an appreciation you know that I mean, for all our national parks, we have 108 national parks in Western Australia now. But for all that, you know, so much of the landscape is in the hands of agricultural people. So the stewardship of the future of the land is is in their hands. And it's very important to understand where their heads are. And this is a good example of it. Mm. No, it will be good. And I guess um, if I go back to the tour as well, the, the fact that it's, you're in a group, but you're also in your own vehicle. Um, Global Gypsies sort of have this saying that it's independent but not alone. So you you can sort of get to go to these really interesting remote places, but you are in company with people, but you also don't have to be, I guess, bombarded, bombarded or sort of smothered by other people as well. If you want to retreat back to your caravan and, and, and just have some time alone, you're, you're perfectly fine and, and welcome to do that as well. So it's a, a really nice way to go about um touring parts of WA, I, I believe. Yeah, I think um, you're exactly it is, right. It, it gives yeah, you a sort of confidence, supported. doesn't it? You know, it gives you a confidence and a, you know, there's some security in that. And, of course, the planning's done for you. Everybody's expecting you to turn up. But you have your yeah, privacy exactly. too. And it's, just going to what you said about confidence, Jeremy, um, the tour guide or the tour leader, he, he's so well versed in four-wheel drive training and I mean, him and Jan do a lot of four-wheel drive training and caravan manoeuvring sort of training as part of their regular day-to-day jobs as well. So they will go on different four-wheel drive adventures and you'll get to tag along as well with those, but you really are in safe hands with the people who are, who are leading the pack, if that makes sense. You are. Now, so I know you've, um, you've got a wonderful story in that, which is in Thursday travel in the West Australian this Thursday, which is February the 10th, and then, of course, we'll be online at thewest.com.au. So... Thanks for sharing that with us. You, I feel very inspired about those places. No, that's wonderful. Well, nice chatting to you, Stephen. Okay. Nice chatting to you too. Thanks, Penny. And thanks to you both, no Stephen and Penny. Uh, Penny, look forward to talking to you again on the Pod Well Travel soon. Thanks, Will. Bye. Yeah, so interesting. I don't know, have you been in, in, uh, up to any of those stations up north that have been converted into like sort of, you know, tourist destinations? I haven't actually. No, I haven't actually right. ever stayed in one of them. Mm. I mean, I've been through the areas and, and I, I know the, the areas reasonably well, but, uh, you know, I haven't actually stayed at one of the stations. No, yeah. so I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to try that out. No, no, yeah. likewise. They sound fantastic. And it sounds like this kind of tour is probably the way to do it, particularly if you're single or, you, you know, you, you've got sort of concerns to have someone look after you like this while still having that sort of feel of an adventure is pretty amazing. I think. Yeah, yeah. And you still got, like Penny said, you still got you know, the privacy of your own car. You can, well, exactly. uh, you know, as you're cruising along, you, you just... Mm. You and the missus. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> so as I mentioned when we are talking about cameras, I, I wanted to go back to that because uh, when I was recently in Albany, I took my uh, 
TCL50, which is a, um, well, it's a TCL20L, to be precise, 20L+, plus, which gives you a 64 megapixel, uh, what they call a quad camera, for just under 400, this one. Um, which is amazing value. It is, yeah, it is amazing value. Yeah. And I thought I would give it a, a, a bit of a, a test run. So, you know, you've got your macro lens, you've got your sort of mid-range lens, you've got your wide-angle lens, and then you've got that that um, portrait, what they call a portrait sort of effect lens, which gives you that, that, that bokeh effect with the blurred background and so forth, um, as well as your selfie camera and all the rest. So I thought I'd give it a workout down in Albany. I'll tell you what, I've got some amazing shots. Yeah. And I was thinking, I was a bit concerned because I've, I've gone from a Samsung to this and I thought, well, you know, how's it going to perform? Yeah. And I've got to say, you know, a lot of the pictures I got are just every bit as comparable to something you'd get spending hundreds more dollars. Yeah. You know, yeah. just amazing. Uh, I mean, the, the, that's the, the thing. I mean, the, the difference between the high-end phones and and the mid-range, which I guess you would classify mm. the TCL as, mm. uh, you know, it's it's not as big as you might think. No, exactly. Uh, you know, it's it. You're you're looking at sort of uh, things like uh, the screens might be a bit of a higher resolution, a bit brighter. You're looking at a, perhaps a slightly faster processor, which mm. is important if you're, you know watching a lot of videos or you're gaming or anything like that but the vast majority of people don't do it any of well not of my age group at least anyway <laughs> don't do too much of that i mean you might watch the odd uh, uh, youtube uh, video or something like that on on the phone uh, generally it's browsing and taking pictures isn't well, absolutely it? but but i have to say even for watching um for streaming because i do watch a lot on this phone um it's actually very very good mm. I, th- I think the image it's just the image quality is perhaps not quite as sharp but in terms of actual streaming it's pretty seamless yeah and also i think um you know there are certain operations where you might notice like a fraction of a second lag where you wouldn't get that on, a, on an apple or a samsung but as you say it's for look for, for the money it's absolutely outstanding value yeah really no is. question yeah I reckon we might go to Olga de Merlo telling us about the popularity of Utes. And she, she makes a quick side trip to um, Lake Clifton too, which is um, always a beautiful spot to visit. Olga, welcome back to the pod Well Travelled. Thank you, Will and Stephen. Mm, now, Morning, Olga. the U-Butte Ute. I like, I like what you yeah. wrote here in the notes saying, if you think there are a lot of Utes on the road, you're not wrong. <laughs> Why is that? Absolutely not. Look, I think um, every third or fourth vehicle I see as a ute. And in fact, last year in WA, one in four cars sold was a ute. And of course, the Toyota Hilux 4x4 was number one, Mm. followed by the Ford Ranger. And you'll certainly see those two vehicles very well represented on the roads in in, in and around Perth. Uh, You don't have to go anywhere out of Perth. Um, the Utes are just everywhere. I've just, in fact, stepped out of an Isuzu D-Max, which was in number three spot in WA, and the experience was so different to what I remember as a child in my dad's Ute, going down the hill in Hines Road, O'Connor, bouncing around in the seat as we reached the bottom, our heads just about hitting the roof, and then going back <coughs> up and doing it all over again, laughing all the way. There were no seatbelts, no crash warnings, no autonomous emergency braking. It was just 
great well, fun. Well, I, I remember riding in the in the back of, of an old Holden Ute, um, which exactly. is clearly illegal now. You know, <laughs> you just with no illegal. restraints at all. When when Me Olga too. when Olga said when you said bouncing around, I went straight to the tray as well. I must say, and I do have some old photographs in mm. my library of people in the trays of Utes in armchairs with ratchet straps and yeah, all that sort of stuff. Yes, well, I did as well, but I I didn't I didn't want to be that daring to admit it. Um, obviously, as you said, it's totally illegal now. Can I just th- <laughs> can I just throw in one one aspect before we go any further, though, Olga, is that the whole the, the whole definition of the Ute has changed, isn't it? Because we're all talking about you know what were Utes with you know two or three passengers in the front and the big train. Of course, then there was the dual cab, which is sort of now the Ute. So it's really kind of changed. I think the definition has changed that. What we used to call a yes, dual cab has. is now a Ute. Um, look, it originated. Uh, look, and some it, some people would say that Utes are an Australian invention. It depends very much on how one defines them, because in the US, similar vehicles are called pickup trucks, and uh, pickup trucks have a separate cab uh, and um, tray body configuration, and that is in what essentially has happened with the Ute in Australia now. What is certain enough, though, is that in 1933, a Gippsland farmer's wife wrote to Ford Australia asking, can you build me a vehicle that we can use to go to church on Sunday without getting wet and that my husband can use to take the pigs to market on Monday? (laughs) Ford Australia did just that by modifying a coupe with a pub in the back and strengthening the chassis so it could carry load. Uh, So you have very much evolved from that concept and in the U.S., uh, the Utes um, rule, uh, Utes have cult status in the U.S. Um, in Australia, we're getting there, unlike Europe, where it's very much banned. But I can certainly see, having spent a week to ten days in a Ute, what all the hype is about now. I must, so, I must say, Olga, mm, yep. I do think that the Ute, and that, that wonderful story about the, the Gibson Farmer, it is such yes. an Australian, it's definitely an Australian invention because it, it's so like the mullet, isn't it? The haircut, you know, it's like it's all neat out the front, you know, where you sit and there's a big messy thing stuck out the back, you know. It's kind yeah, of, and there's a party out the back. It's, it's a sort of, you know, automotive embodiment of the mullet to me. Well, indeed, and I, I, I can recall not having a mullet, but I can recall at around about <laughs> that time, we around about that time, um, in, indulging in, in activity which I would find morally abhorrent now, which is roo shooting, of course, at night time with a spotty on the back of the Ute and a three hundred three oh. rifle. You know, look, it was necessary, apparently, and um, yeah. as, as a young teenager, you know, I was not in any position to argue. I don't suppose, but certainly now, it's it's not. The way I would go, but anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in as an aside because it is it was a way of life. If you look, if you're going right back to you know the Utes heyday in Australia, so what can we expect? Utes, uh, oh, sorry, Olga. What can we expect from a Ute or in a Ute these days? Well, yes, look, they and they still are very much a way of life. And when you get into a 21st century Ute, what you find is you get the convenience of a truck with all the comforts of a sedan. So, in this instance, the D-Max. But um, other, other, certainly the Toyota highlights in the Ford Ranger mm. um, come with, depending on the the, um, the spec of the model. But this one had leather seats, wireless Apple CarPlay, dual zone air conditioning, and push button start. So all the convenience you get in a um, 
in an SUV or a sedan, um, a modern car, and um, the the uh, the added um, extra convenience of being able to take it to Bunnings and not have to think twice about buying ten bags of potting mix, a ladder, and a wheelbarrow. Mm-hmm. Um, or my friend um, who's got a farm in Boy Up Brook uh, pointed out, well, you could probably get eight lambs in there depending on their size, or if they're very fat, you know, maybe uh, maybe you know four big rams because she said some of them get up to about 150 kilos, which I didn't realise, and uh, use your motorbike tracks um, as rams. So yeah, and of course, very you know, versatile vehicle. But the, it was quite interesting because I'm just. Like you, I've just been, well, I've been driving the Isuzu D-Max X-Terrain. And in fact, we have, I took it out to the goldfields and we have a story on that in West Wheels on Saturday, February the 12th. Mm-hmm. So, and that'll be online. But, I, you know, it's quite surprising now what this word tub has also come into the lexicon of utes, hasn't it? And what the tub yeah. does, which is the liner for the tray. Perhaps you could tell us about the sort of setup of that now. Yes, look, I, well, the, the tub is now lined um, and it's lined um, apparently for, uh, well, certainly for uh, convenience. You can easily clean it out, uh, give it a rinse, but also apparently blokes don't like getting um, scuffs and, um, and dirt in their youth. So uh, it serves a dual, dual purpose, actually, um, keeps it nice and clean as well. Um, and um, they certainly like to show off their youths and, that's what I found when I um, I took it to Lake Clifton one very, very hot Saturday. No, it was actually Sunday afternoon at sunset, um, all down, the way down the freeway. And at one stage of the journey, I was surrounded by youth, so I felt in very good company. Lake Clifton, of course, is part of Yalgarup National Park, and the big attraction there is the thrombolites. Uh, and the thrombolites are close cousins of the ancient stromatolites that are found in parts of WA, including the eastern Pilbara. Now, the ones in Lake Clifton are about 2,000 years old and look like rocks. But 600 million years ago, their ancestors, and the ancestors of the stromatolites as well, produced the oxygen needed for life on Earth. And we're so fortunate to have them here in Western Australia because both stromatolites and thrombolites are found in only very few places around the world and WA is quite unique in that regard. It's a wonderful thing to have right on our doorstep. Mm. It's just incredible to be, well, to be connected to, yeah. the, to the origins of life on Earth. That's such a strange thing. <laughs> and such a beautiful spot as well. Yes. So picturesque. Well, thank well, you. Thank you, Olga. You've, you've introduced nice. us to... The Ute and a bit of ancient history and all things all The things Ute and driving. the origins of life. Mm-hmm. All in one go. Looking Brilliant. forward to talking to you again Thanks soon. Okay, now I'm sure you know Lake Clifton as well as I do. Yeah, it's yeah. a lovely place down it's a, there. It's amazing, isn't it? It's so beautiful. It's one of those sort of hidden, we use this phrase a lot, hidden gems sort of not too far away from the city, uh, 
but uh, just just beyond Mandurah, really, isn't it? You know, Absolutely. and uh, it's it's uh, it's a magical place down there. And actually, just dropping in too, if you're on on your way to Margaret River or something like that, it's pretty pretty safe. Yeah, to just yeah, it's make that detour, isn't it? Really, yeah, and, um, absolutely. Enjoy yourself. Um, so we're going to go to uh, aviation and now almost cruising editor, I guess, Jeffrey Thomas. Um, he's going to be talking about the recent border opening here. But just what are your thoughts on this? I mean, what, what do you think? It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, yes, it's open to air traffic, not to cruising yet. And there's also this idea that you have to be double vaccinated but not triple vaxxed. So, and also the biggest question for us here in Western Australia of course, this does not include us. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be a sort of recurring, uh, recurring theme. theme. Yeah. Um, no, I think uh, I'll be interested to hear what Jeffrey is saying, but uh, my, I mean, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, WA won't be too far behind the rest of Australia now that uh, that announcement has been made. Uh, but, I, but I also think that, uh, you know, it's, it's inevitable that, uh, you know, we will have to be triple vaxxed mm. and probably even, you know, a, a fourth booster down the track at, at some stage. I imagine in particular with the cruise ships when we've seen what uh, Jeffrey has written, you know, in recent uh, weeks, you know, in particular, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty much on the ball. They know it's important to, mm. to keep the passengers safe. So I'm sure that will be, become the norm. Oh, no, absolutely. And it's, it's worth just reminding people that, that, so that the idea that Natagi is looking at this at the moment is making it a, um, you have to have an up-to-date vaccination. I think that's the right terminology because that covers anything. Yeah. Up-to-date means whatever you need to have now, which could be third, fourth, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty safe. Okay, let's hear from Jeffrey. Okay, we're now talking again to our wonderful uh, aviation and cruise editor. I think it's fair to say officially now, uh, Jeffrey Thomas. Jeffrey, welcome back to the pod. Well travelled. Thank you. Thank you. So at the time of recording this episode, it's just been announced that Australia's international borders are going to open. Certainly um, most of Australia, of course, Western Australia may have a bit of catching up to do. And the borders are open to air traffic, but not yet to cruising. But Jeffrey, you seem to think that cruising won't be too far behind. No, indeed. The, the signs are there that um, uh, cruising will be announced very soon, uh, reopening of cruise ships. And as far as Western Australia is concerned, clearly our, our borders are going to come down very soon. Mm. Um, we, we, the Premier is announcing uh, relaxation of restrictions uh, almost on a weekly basis. So I don't think it'll be too long before uh, new dates are given uh, for air travel and new dates are given for, or a new date is, is in fact given for cruising as well. So, um, you know, really now is the time to uh, to book a cruise because um, uh, the deals that are out there at the moment are just amazing. I mean, you're talking deals pricing that's the same as it was 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, and and on top of that, you've got a host of inclusions, usually the things you've got to pay for, the extras, they're all included. And on top of that, you've got the, a most amazing relaxation of terms and conditions. So now is the time to do it because once uh, the cruising, uh, you know, and the borders are all open, the cruising mm-hmm. returns, then some of those conditions and terms and some of those pricings are, are going to climb. Um, so now is a great time to get on board. If I can just jump in, actually, Jeffrey, just also to prompt you towards, you know, we're also talking about 2023 and even 2024, aren't we? And we're also talking about choice because at the whole world is moving in booking, you know, and, and this is a global market. So, 
it's no yes. good sitting out here until everything's open and then thinking about it because uh, everything will fill up. It will very be quickly. too late by then. It'll be too late yeah. by then. So, you know, but I just wanted to emphasise that we are talking about 2023 and even 2024. Look, indeed, and that, that's most unusual to be, you know, that far ahead with cruising. Um, but, that you know, that's what they've done, you know, understanding the the concerns of of uh, intending passengers, so they're they're opening their uh, cruising up for that. But you're absolutely right on the global scene. You know, we, it is an absolute global market when you're talking about a cruise out of Barcelona or a cruise out of Norway or wherever. Um, you know, we are competing with uh, lots of other uh, intending passengers. So uh, as things quickly ease up. Um, you know, these fabulous fares, fabulous conditions, terrific inclusion, inclusions will s- slowly and possibly more quickly disappear. So now's the time to, uh, now's the time to get on board. Mm. Now, Jeffrey, could I just touch on, on one more thing before we let you go? And that is the, um, the, the vaccination requirements. At the moment, they're only asking for, for double vaccination proof. Uh, but Atagi has, uh, announced that they may look at going to, um, up to date vaccination, which is clearly more important. What are your thoughts there? Because the last thing we want is people that are only double vaxxed coming in, getting sick and clogging up our hospitals. Look, indeed, I think uh, triple vax is going to be the standard uh, very quickly uh, mm. right across the board. Um, and that's uh, appearing uh, on cruise ships as well. Uh, quite a number of all are already saying triple vax is, is the minimum. And, uh, you know, by the end of the year, it might even be, might even be four times. Um, I think we're going to be looking to um, these vaccines the same way we do flu. flu. We have a booster every, or a lot of people have a booster every year. Um, I think with COVID, we're probably going to be looking at a booster every six months um, until it, until it's completely uh, out of the population, and that uh, that could take a couple of years. So yeah, mm. I think uh, people have to get used to the fact. No, you're absolutely right. Okay, well, thanks so much, Jeffrey, for joining us. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Pleasure. Yes, now, Jeff was right, wasn't he, Moans, about those cruise deals. You don't want to be sitting on your hands. No, I even think Even if that's, you're thinking right to 2024 even, yeah. get out there now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, th- I think that's right. And I think, you know, also there's some, you know, Viking, for example, is a, a good company who, who uh, you know, safeguards your, your deposits and, and so on. So uh, I think, you know, if you pick the, the right companies and, and uh, look for the good deals, you can't go wrong looking ahead. Mm, no, no, you're absolutely right. Look, it's been great talking to you. And just before we leave, we'll go back to the phones one last time. You've got an exciting announcement to make in Saturday's West Australian. Something to do with Samsung, and that's probably all I'm going to say because that's all we're allowed to say right now. <laughs> yeah, there's a sort of strict uh, media embargo. Mm. There's this uh, sort of media event called Samsung Unpacked. Mm. Uh, and so I can perhaps just leave our listeners to draw their own conclusions Indeed. what that might make what that might mean but uh we can reveal more in the in the pages on saturday so yeah it's a, it's one more reason to buy uh the saturday's west australian yeah okay absolutely. well thanks for joining us on the podwell travel Barnes. my pleasure mm-hmm.